So in session five of our technology and social media series, we looked at the topic of information and ideas. This is usually not a topic that we talk about when we speak of digital technology and social media and the dangers it might present, but I, I think it's one of the most critical things when we think about being Christians in the digital world. There's a whole new way of interacting with information and ideas that we have to be aware of, we have to be um, intentional about combating, and specifically as it pertains to sharing the gospel and being a witness of the good news of Jesus, there are some things that we have to take note of. So that's what we have done in session five of this series. So the term the information age has actually been used for decades, but it's even more appropriate today. In our age of digital technology and social media and the prevalence of the internet, there are 1.3 billion websites that are active right now, 4.5 billion web pages, and this is translated to 40,000 Google searches every second and 3.5 billion searches every day. So we have access to large quantities of information like we have never had access before. And generally speaking, what we see is that digital users are becoming increasingly over-informed and more and more thoughtless. So information is easy everywhere. And our ability to navigate ideas, drawing out their validity and implications, has significantly diminished. More specifically, we can identify um, some dangerous practices in regards to our interaction with information and ideas in the digital world. Number one, we see that information is, is a new kind of idol. A professor, Quentin Schultz, described what he calls informationism. It is a non-discerning, vacuous faith in the collection and dissemination of information as a route to social progress and personal happiness. What he means is that information has lost its true function and it's become an end in and of itself where information was designed to lead us to knowledge and wisdom. Yet today, we're, we're seeking just to be informed for the sake of being informed. And in that pursuit, we, we're, we place our hope and just further accumulating information. So we're, we're being trained to think that our main problem concerns our lack of information and that the more information we have, the more advanced we can become. Now more practically, number two, we are being trained to locate answers rather than think through questions. Because we idolize information, we stop short, not carrying information to its proper end, which is real knowledge. So the result is that we have more access to knowledge, but we actually know less. Since we have almost immediate access to answers, we, we don't really pause and ponder to think through questions. So this discourages us from thinking through these questions for ourselves. And it's only when we grapple through difficult concepts for ourselves, struggling in that process, 
that we truly obtain the full depth of knowledge contained in the answer. Being satisfied with accessibility to answers leads to shallow thinking while struggling through the process leads to deep thinking. Number three of the dangers of the information age with digital technology, we can be exposed to ideas that we're not mature enough to discern and digest. Um, I remember watching this documentary called Beware the Slender Man, and it's about these two 12-year-old girls. In May of 2014, they lead one of their friends into the woods and attempted to kill her for the purpose of pleasing this fictional character, Slender Man, that they had encountered on the internet. So this documentary um, concerns the girls in their internet habits leading up to the horrific event. And you see in the documentary that these girls were basically given unlimited access to the internet. They were browsing through sites like YouTube, um, Creepypasta, and DeviantArt with no filter. And they were taking in all these ideas about this fictional character named Slenderman, and that eventually led them to commit this horrible thing. It's a, it's a horrible, horrific story. Um, there's mental health issues there, and it's very complex as to why they did this. I'm not saying that just because they had access to the internet that they did this, but one thing's certain. These girls were exposed to ideas that they were not mature enough to, to discern and digest. So I, I emphasize with our students, there's a reason that movies, TV shows, and video games have ratings on them. It's because not all material is suitable for children or teenagers. There's loads of information and ideas easily accessible on the internet to which children and teenagers should not be exposed. This includes extremely dangerous content, ones that are sexual, violent, profane, and also complicated content like deep religious issues, political propaganda, relationship issues, etc. Young people do not yet have the maturity to discern and digest these things without the guiding hand of an authority figure. And the internet, their access to these things um, is increased. Basically, the authority structure is, is taken away and they are giving free reign to navigate these ideas that they are not mature enough to discern and digest. And this issue of authority leads to the next point. Ideas have become detached from their context and source of authority. So in young people's developmental years, the concept of right and wrong is communicated and enforced by sources of authority, preferably their parents. So right and wrong is not something that young people necessarily discern for themselves at a young age, but rather it's something that they are told. Now, as children grow older and mature, as part of the process of parenting is seeking to develop their own ability for discernment. But we do this, we develop their discernment by highlighting the importance of information and ideas being communicated in context from an authoritative source. In today's world, the internet is full of self-publishers. You know, books and print publishers inherently proofread and verify the information that's being published, but we don't have to publish our opinions or thoughts on the internet with the same level of scrutiny. As the cultural cliche goes, like the internet has a lot of unverified information. Like, where did you hear that? Oh, the internet. But there's also a lot of verifiable, reputable information on the internet. The issue 
is that both verifiable and unverifiable information are often side by side with no clue as to the authoritative source. I, I told the students on Sunday, you know, you, have may, you may have been told that every opinion is equal. That's not true. Um, there are people that uh, have authority in regards to opinion. Like when you go to a doctor, the doctor has the authority to have an opinion that's better than your own. Me, myself, I don't have an authority when it comes to neuroscience or being a rocket engineer, right? Someone who has trained for years and studied for years have the, um, the preference of opinion on those things. The idea or the internet kind of levels everyone's ideas and it strips authority from ideas. And the other end of this is that the internet's filled with statuses and tweets and quick information that are often detached from a larger context. Now, the written medium of communication is difficult at expressing content in general. Right? When you read a book, it, it often takes paragraphs to preface or clarify things in order to properly contextualize the ideas and the information. On the internet, you don't have that. And so as we compound that with issues of abbreviated ideas and opinions spewed across social media and the internet, it becomes even more detached from context. And because of this, because we don't see the context and we don't have a, a source of authority, with the information that we're interacting with, we lose the ability to interact with ideas well and appreciate alternative perspectives, which leads to the next issue, number five. is that the internet, when regards to information and ideas, um, it creates an echo chamber for ideas. Social media it's exposed us to more and more opinions, but in the same motion, it's quickened us to form them. So what we fail to realize is that the quick-formed opinions that we have are multi-layered and contextually informed. And in response to that, we're urged to locate the best worded construction of our own opinion in order to combat the frenzy. So in reality, when we do that, we're, we're fueling this frenzy and spewing opinions apart from relationship and simply fortifying our own assumptions. So in our inability to interact well with other opinions and different ideas, we often use the internet and social media to support the opinions we already have. So it creates this echo chamber. Even the content algorithms that are at work on social media function this way. They ensure that the content you've previously liked or engaged in is the same content that they will feed you in the future. So we become more and more opinionated, and in the same motion, we become more and more hostile because this echo chamber, it strengthens our opinions and we begin to see alternative views and opinions as almost totally unthinkable. Therefore, the people that espouse alternative views start to seem crazy or delusional. And so you have this, this predicament where you have people with opposing views online. They're very opinionated. They see the other person as delusional and and it, I promise you, you will not have a civil discourse if that's the situation. And then you add to this what researchers have called the online disinhibition effect, which means that people use digital media to behave and interact in all sorts of ways that, are, that they would never act in real life. And they usually take 
the fact that they're anonymous to behave like a monster. This is what um, researchers are seeing online is that people are a lot more hostile and mean online. And it's because of this, um, this safe medium where they don't really actually have to identify with what they're saying. And what we see because of all of this, because of the echo chamber and the online dis disinhibition effect is that the exchange of ideas online becomes extremely heated and very, very hostile. And then you throw into the mix this whole cyberbullying phenomenon. We had a student um, at Huff High School this previous year who unfortunately took his own life. And they attributed much of the cause to that um, with cyberbullying. It's awful. It's horrific. I mean, you look at some of the, the statistics around the prevalence of cyberbullying and it's linked to uh, teen suicide and school shootings and all this stuff. And it's, it's very, very disheartening. And bullying in general is hard at school, right? Being picked on. But the, the new thing is that whereas in the past we could maybe leave the school and go home and not be bullied, right? We could leave the bully at school. It's, with the smartphone, you take the bully home with you. And when you're just constantly being um, the subject of hostility and of jokes, it's very difficult to ascend out of that and to regain your perspective. Um, so cyberbullying is, is really, really prevalent, I think, because of this, because of this online disinhibition effect where kids feel like they can bully other kids because... It, they feel detached from the ideas and the information that, that they're sharing with them or the jokes that they're sharing with them. Um, in all of this, we see the danger of how digital technology and social media might train us to interact with it with information and ideas. We have to look at how information and ideas are to be understood within Christianity. More particularly, we need to see how modern com concepts of information and ideas should be compared to the gospel. Now, when we look at the gospel, there's three things that I highlighted with our students um, that are very important for this discussion. Number one is the gospel is informative. The gospel means good news, which means that it's communicated on a basic level by providing information. So we first interact with the gospel in the same manner we tend to hear, consume, and interact with information and ideas in general. As Christians, therefore, we need to be informed concerning the God who saved us and calls us his children and recognize that this is news for others as well. But the gospel is not only informative. Number two, the gospel is also functional. So the good news is shared so that there can be a response to that information. We're not called to simply know about the gospel. We are called to respond, to have faith, believe, trust in, delight in, act on its truth. So we are called to act on what we know, where that information is functional. So we are informed of the good news of Jesus so that we can live out that message. Uh, number three, the gospel has authority. The gospel is not simply an alternative set of facts or information, or another idea that explains human existence or the human predicament. The good news of Jesus unashamedly claims to be rooted in the authority of God. So as God, who has authored this world into existence and inspired the scriptures to testify to Jesus, 
we as Christians have an authoritative source for the information and ideas for which we can have knowledge and exercise wisdom. First, this, this changes how we interact with the testimony of Jesus found in Scripture. Jesus is not a mere suggestion for pursuing happiness or a good life. It's an authority over our life that leads us to true satisfaction as we find our story in the gospel story. Secondly, this changes the way we share the gospel. We proclaim the gospel with authority, knowing that an authoritative claim demands a response. If the gospel is authoritative and true, this means that we cannot be content with a mere concession of difference of opinion. We cannot concede just to be like, yeah, that's your opinion, this is my opinion, let's carry on in life. Because the gospel has authority, it demands a response. So those are three important clarifications about the gospel as we think about information and ideas. It's informative, it is functional, and it has authority. So Paul admonishes believers to have mature thinking, to not be children in our thinking. We're, we're called to grow in our ability to think and train our thoughtfulness. So if we desire to be mature, then we must be strengthened in our ability to pursue the hard, time-consuming, skillful act of thinking. So I gave them some nudges and disciplines to, de- to develop mature thinking. This is not an exhaustive list as to have mature thinking, but it's some of the important ones as they pertain to developing mature thinking and living wisely in light of the temptations of digital technology and social media. So here are four nudges that I gave them, four shifts in their perspective or in their environment that could help them towards mature thinking. Number one is allow more time to study the scriptures. Many of us read scripture very quickly just so we can um, check it off the to-do list. And in exercising this, we're, we're lowering our expectations when we come to scripture. And we're suffering by just being satisfied with shallow truths in the Bible. But by giving ourselves more time to pour over Scripture, we grant ourselves the opportunity to pray over passages, work hard to understand those things that are difficult, and find ways to draw practical application to what we have heard. So the Scriptures are a deep well of truth that that if we dedicate the time to excavating, The Spirit of God is pleased to help us in our weakness. So allow more time to study the Scriptures. Number two, read more books and less blogs. Um, This was not an attack against blogs. It's more of a way of just saying, consume more information and ideas that have verifiable content that requires longer, more thoughtful work of concentration and comprehension. It's not to say online articles are not beneficial. I read a lot of them. I, I gain a lot from them. But what I'm saying is it's necessary for us to train our minds to analyze larger context, concentrate for longer amounts of time, and fight the temptation to skim read. A lot of studies have shown that we're more prone to skim read when we read on a digital device as opposed to reading in a physical book. A lot of reasons for that. But training our minds in concentration and comprehension is better done with books. So that's number two. Read more books and less blocks. Number three, contextualize the gospel. I've hit this very hard with our students that the Bible is the story of God that climaxes in Jesus. It testifies to Jesus. That's the main function of Scripture. And we'll we'll understand that as we understand the unified story of the Bible. Look, the Bible is a large, complex book 
spans thousands of years, has dozens of authors, multiple languages, several genres that are mostly outdated to us modern readers. And so to handle that complexity, it's, it's good if we have a foundation of understanding the full biblical story and seeing Jesus at the center of it. If we don't understand that the whole of Scripture works to testify to Jesus, then we'll, we'll never understand the particulars. We'll never understand um, the particular stories and teachings. And this is even more important when we talk about discussing Scripture with unbelievers. Understanding that the book of Leviticus functions in the whole story of God to um, give a picture of God's holiness and how he desires to reconcile people to himself and how he provides the means to do that and how atonement is at the center of that book and, and Jesus ultimately fulfills that day of atonement by being our scapegoat and, and whatnot. That will better equip us to have those conversations when an unbeliever says, well, what about your Bible saying, you know, we can't eat pork or there's all these weird laws about this or that. So, Point being, we need to put the Bible in context. Number four, do not be afraid to build relationships with people with alternative perspectives or opinions. Now, I I preface this with our students that they have to understand that their deepest relationships um, should be experienced in the family, biological and spiritual, and that their friend group is very, very important. They're in a very impressionable time in their life. Their brains are soft right now. Their hearts are soft. So... They're being influenced by their friend group in, in mighty ways. So what I'm getting at in this is building relationships with people uh, with alternative perspectives or opinions will better help them have discussions and um, the exchange of ideas with these people. It's better to have a relationship with the people that you disagree with than to have no relationship. As Christians, our goal is to not necessarily win arguments with people, but rather love people well so as to demonstrate the love of Jesus to them. So that was my only point with that, is they should seek to develop a relationship with them so that it's not just an argument, but it's actually a conversation uh, with someone that you love and care for. All right, moving on to the disciplines. I had four disciplines for them. These are tough decisions that they're going to have to make in regards to information and ideas and mature thinking in the digital age. Number one, read scripture every day and have a dedicated study day. It's very important that we're in scripture. It's a testimony to Jesus. It equips us to have fellowship with God and be equipped for every good work as Christians. Um, But because scripture is often complex, it requires time of concentration in order to to comprehend um, some of its intricacies. So along with reading scripture every day, I suggested dedicating one hour a week to learning and studying scripture, theology, um, reading books by Christian authors, so that they can study and learn in a way that will lead them to mature thinking, wise living, and practical worship. Number two, I challenge them to bring their their doubts to light and work through hard questions. Doubts are not a bad thing in the Christian life. They're an honest reflection on the fact that we are finite creatures studying an infinite creator who's revealed himself to us through scripture and through creation. But being doubtful about something is not, um, is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a reflection of who we are. So being honest about that and then bringing that to light in the Christian community so that we can work through that hard question together 
is very, very beneficial. So when we come across difficult questions which lead us to doubt, we can have the confidence to embrace that doubt and ask God for help. We should have the courage to proclaim, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Discipline number three, do not argue over social media. Social media has become a playground of exchanging information and ideas. You see a lot of discussions and arguments online, um, and these usually get very, very heated and hostile. Um, they spiral into just an unhealthy form of communication. So I suggest once you kind of sense that there's an argument or a, a hostile, heated exchange, extending an invitation to meet in person is is a better option than continuing continuing to squabble on social media. So do not argue over social media. I think that's a good discipline we should all have. Number four, share the gospel. Because the source of the good news of Jesus is in the authority of God, then this means that it's a truth that must be shared with all his image bearers, every man, woman, and child. And although they'll face opposition um, because the gospel is offensive, um, they can stand firm and persevere in the power of God. So fight against the tendency of our culture to respond without honestly listening and considering what the other person has to say. Remain strong in your convictions while also listening well and inviting conversation. That will be a breath of fresh air in our culture. And although the gospel must be communicated as information, we do not stop there. Because the greatest way the good news of Jesus was shared to us was not simply through information. It was through the incarnate life of Jesus and his indwelling spirit. So while we should work hard to proclaim the good news of Jesus and what we say and inform people of, we should be more concerned with living out our faith through love.